0: I like to say if you're seeing me, you're having the worst day of your life. My name is Matthew Kroll. And a friend is a gift you give yourself. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies. Request Roundup. Whoa. Episode one? Yeah, the first of our request roundups of us trying to clear our backlog, we will be discussing prisoners and
1: Nightcrawler. That
0: is right. We are clearing out house. We are trying to make more room that so that we may service you better. And uh, this is the first stop. A
1: little, a little history here is when we started the podcast we thought it would be fun for listeners to request specific films that they wanted us to talk about and uh, one of the things I think we've made a special effort at is that we don't do half-assed discussions no we do not uh, our discussions are one, hours long, one hour at least uh, on, on each individual film so uh, we thought it would be interesting if there was a specific film that you love that you could, co- you could email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at onlymoviepod like that little plug I sneaked in there mm, it's, uh, good. it's good right um, it's um, and that you call unfortunately it out. though unfortunately though uh, our plan failed in that it is very difficult to set aside time for either of us to do these episodes <laughs> we have done we do do them we did we definitely whenever the, whenever the stars align whenever a film comes through that perfectly aligns with something that we're doing or t- wanting to talk about we will definitely fill the request and we have we have definitely done requests in the past but we noticed, When I went back to the request list that there are requests sitting here from 2016 that we just haven't done. And so we are, over the next few weeks, going to be clearing these out. um, Clearing house. And then... Instituting a more streamlined request system, where I, I think I think one of the things maybe Matt uh, is that we have said yes to everything that's come in. Yes, and uh, we might have to start filtering some of the requests that come we'll in. We'll
0: figure it out. There'll be systems and checks and balances and 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 ways that we can keep everything reined in while still
1: serving you. The people, the people. It's like we'll be a more efficient government for it's you. It's like
0: we'll be a really, mm-hmm. a really, uh, well-off and, and oiled bane. Um, but yeah, oh, no, yes. I, I am psyched. That's what I did. That's why I did the people. Um, I am psyched. These these were um two films that I had not seen before. Oh wow! See, these were two films that I've seen
1: many times before. Ah. I've seen both of them at least a couple of times before. So I was, I guess, I was excited because it uh, this was an opportunity to talk about films that I'm I'm really passionate about. Mm. Uh, but before we jump into that just sure. going back to our twitter bag I think a little hot spot hot spot that we've hit in the, in the last week hot sp- spot. um specifically me uh, is being, uh is, is something that's been uh, coined the phrase of seat anarchy. What did uh, you do? Uh, well you you heard our Leave No Trace episode you I were did. there obviously. Uh, when I made the bold claim which was that if um if if, uh, if even even if I've been assigned a seat right uh, uh, if I walk into a theater and there are empty seats available, uh, and they are convenient for me to sit in, I will just sit in them. Until, of course, someone asks me to move or if if someone w- who has that seat happens to be there, of course I will move. Right, right, right. But, uh, this has been dubbed Seat Anarchy by Jonathan Blade on, uh, on Twitter, and also, uh, our good friend Jacob has sworn that I am now his mortal enemy for oh. having, uh, for having taken the stance of, 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 uh, instituting Seat Anarchy. Um,
0: well, because Jacob I... Jacob and the blade. You've you've now wrought the wrath. Of. I'm not sure I pissed
1: off the blade, but uh, but I, I, I you know like uh, it, it's been mentioned. Wow. So uh, I'm going to clarify my position. Okay. But I don't feel like I
0: need to. But well, I'm going to. No, but you do if you're doing it. Uh, I'm okay. going to I'm going to clarify. It's it. okay to feel the need to clarify a position.
1: Here here's the thing. No apologies. <laughs> this is not an apology tour for my seat anarchy. Understood. Here's here's the here's the clarifying situation. Walk into a movie theater. Uh, say there's only one row of seats. I'm picturing it. Okay. One row of seats a movie okay. theater. That's the, for some reason, this, this movie theater has only one row of seats. Let's say 10 seats. Yep. 10 seats. Seats four through seven. The center seats. Yeah. Are the range of which your seat is in. So you might be in seat five or six. Right? Okay. Right? And seats four and seven are occupied. Let's say, let's say you're in seat six. Okay. And seats four, five, and seven, and let's say eight as well, are occupied. Right. Sure. So the your 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 only seat is in the middle. Your How, seat that you bought. The seat that you bought is in the middle. However, seats one, two, three seem to be empty. Seats nine and ten seem to be empty. Sure. And it's the start. You know, it's past um, the point at which people are. You know, most people will filter in by now. Okay. I'm just saying, rather than make person in seat four, five, and six, or four and five, stand up. I'll just jump into seat one if it's a if it's a decent enough seat for me.
0: And that's and that's what I'm saying. I I, I get it. Yeah. I, A I think this is the least Shahir-like thing that you've ever done. Really, I what? think this is place against your type very much. But B. You're just kicking the can down the road. You unless, understand that? Un- unless you're gambling, you're gambling. I'm gambling. You're gambling. I'm gambling. Which is also a very unshahir-like thing to
1: do. Thing to do. I went to the movies last night. Yep. And this exact scenario popped up. And, and of course, and it, uh, but it was much. It was much, much. Uh, it was a different. Uh, the 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 percentages were very different. Sure. The theater was mostly empty. Um, I had a seat assigned, mm-hmm. uh, but I walked in, and the middle row in where I was was kind of available, an entire row. So I just sat down there. Nobody moved me. No, but no issues.
0: I understand. Look, I'm not gonna. I, I get it. I still think y- you're you're a monster playing at a man. No, uh, no. It's it's. There's no there's no shame and there's no bother to people to go sit in the seat that you bought. That's fine, yeah. um, The, the a, And by I, not doing it, which, again, you you are gambling against the fact that the persons whose seat you are now sitting in, there was no person there. They just actually, no one ever bought that seat. Yeah. In which case, you'd be fine. However, if that person comes in later than you came in, even if that's five minutes after the movie started, there needs to be a whisper conversation, then you have to either move over, but if there's not more seats before, if the seats next to that are also taken, then you have to also disturb more people. So the gamble, the gambling, the, the equation, yeah of the conceit is you'll have to if something does happen later it will be more of a hubbubaloo than if you just did it in the beginning
1: the other side well the the flip side to this I guess is that I want to sit isolated when I go to the movies I don't want to I, I don't like to sit in between people if i don't if i don't have to but you love the movie theater you love the you love the people no i do not love the people <laughs> i don't like people one little bit
0: <laughs> so it's actually coming a little bit more forward i like this let's dive into yeah, your let's psyche do it. let's do it. it's it's actually not so much you don't want to disturb people you just don't want to sit next to people
1: oh that is yeah that is 100% it. Now, i don't I'm i don't want to i don't want to sit next to anyone if i don't have to i'm back I, you're you're a monster yeah i'm a monster i'm fine with that and then on a plane uh, uh, maybe this one point isn't necessarily obvious, but I'm six foot four. I'm very tall. I find it very difficult to be in planes. Uh, I hate being on planes because of the seat size. Uh, if, if for any reason, if I get on a plane and the seat and and there are exit row seats or aisle seats available, even if I've only been allocated my window seat, if after I've sat down and it becomes very very clear that there is no one there, I will ask the stewardess, "Can I move? Can I move over?" And then I do.
0: It's a different thing on a plane in my it's eyes. A different thing because when once the doors shut on the plane. Yeah. no no one is getting on or getting off.
1: Yeah, and, so, or, and so obviously on a plane, you cannot just jump into another seat. You right. have to sit where you're going to sit.
0: And and so when you when you get in and they close the cabin doors, and if <laughs> half the plane isn't full, yeah, I'll stretch out because I know for a fact no yeah. one's coming for that seat. But I will have sat in my first seat first, my, yeah. my assigned seat. <laughs> I am all about assigned seating, especially at the movie theater. I know Jamie doesn't particularly like it. Yeah, but um, I,
1: but so in that scenario, say again... A seat with many empty theater. Like like you go into a theater and there's many empty seats. Oh, do mini, I have to close min- my eyes again. Yeah. Many, many, many empty seats. Sure. But the one seat that you've got is in between two strangers.
0: I walk straight into that seat and I sit down in the seat I got. Really? Yeah.
1: Even even when like say the entire theater yep. is
0: empty. hundred percent. Really? Yep. I would not do that. Yeah. I will add if that. they're uncomfortable, they can go and use your monster logic and move. I bought that seat. I wanted to but sit I'm not, in I'm not, that seat. It's not about they're uncomfortable. I just I would. Prov- I, I'm saying if they're you, if they're if if you happen to be both of those two people, yeah. and then you're uncomfortable by that fact, then you can move and take someone else's seat and deal with the wrath that you wrought, <laughs> um, the possible wrath. Again, no, nothing bad could possibly happen. I I can't believe I. Oh my god! I would think that you would be. Such a stickler for this. Why? Why I just don't know. I, I'm gonna let me think about this. We'll, yeah. be, we'll be coming back to this topic over the next couple podcasts. We have so much to discuss. We should probably move on. <laughs> uh, um,
1: yeah, yeah. So this, for for being the podcast about the Jake Gyllenhaal thriller hour, we have talked a lot about movie seats. But I think this plays into an interesting conversation topic that we'll get into okay. uh, with both of these films in particular, which has to do with morality, uh, which I think plays into sure, the conversation. We can bring it all back. Yeah. We so so we're gonna get there. Um, but Matt, you hadn't seen either. Of these movies before.
0: No, and actually, I was very excited even back in the day when I believe Laura had requested uh, Nightcrawler back in uh, 2016. Yep, what up, that. Laura? Welcome <laughs> to the future. Um, and she actually, uh, it, this spun off of our Drive episode, yeah. which was also a request. Uh, yeah, and we did do that. One, one that we got to a little sooner after it was asked of us than this one. I
1: can't remember who requested Drive.
0: Um, but uh, Laura basically said that she loved the Drive podcast. Got to admit, I'm on Matt's side. Yes, thank you, Laura. I know it doesn't happen a lot. Um, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who wasn't a fan. I think seeing Nightcrawler before seeing Drive may have affected how I watched the movie, however. To me, it just has a much more satisfying story and a more interesting character with the same visual aesthetic of L.A. at night, but I was wondering what you guys think. I would love to hear an episode about Nightcrawler. So that is where we are today. Okay.
1: All right. So, uh yes. Well, okay. Uh the other thing is is this is the the second movie that we've paired up is also a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And that was that was purely by
0: coincidence, by the way. But, I just
1: got I kind of put the thrillers together and then oh, I was, really? and then I was watching them and I was like
0: Oh shit! Jake Gyllenhaal's in both of these. Because if you look at the next ones co- coming down the road, uh, we have sort of an action-adventury block, and then we have yeah. um, a a trilogy of things. Actually, yeah. two trilogies technically. Now that I promised the Cornetto yes, trilogy, you did. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> oh, I so, hate so I
1: kind of just tried to bundle up the reviews together, and these yeah. and these two films were, you know, uh, seemed to be thematically similar, and then I realized they were both connected by one actor. Yep. and That is Jake Gyllenhaal. So. Before we jump into the drive comparison, how do you feel about one Mr. Jillen Hall?
0: Um, I uh, Ooh, you had to think about it. No, well, <laughs> that's the weird thing. Normally if you say an actor to me, yeah. I could be like love him eh, and yeah. don't feel it. Eh, yeah. No, he's great or she's wonderful or they're terrible or whatever like I don't know. Like there's there's uh an instant um, with 90% of, of the people, of the human beings I judge, I can snap <laughs> judgment based on their performance as yeah. if they were just dancing for me. Um, but with Mr. Uh, Gyllenhaal, am I saying that right? Jake Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal? It, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. That I, I, every time I try to think about, and I've been doing it this week, obviously, yeah. if I like Jake Gyllenhaal and I, and I like him as an actor, I, I kind of come up blank. Prince of Persia. Never saw it. Never saw it. Never saw Prince of Persia. We did a whole
1: podcast about video game movies,
0: and you never saw Prince of Persia. Nope. You're lucky. But... (laughs) um, Um, uh, So the... Brokeback Mountain. The reason... Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great in that. But what I'm saying is, I think he's... Let's put it this way. I think he is an incredibly talented actor. Yeah. Without a doubt. Okay. But I think he falls into the category of so talented that he does kind of melt into the roles that he plays Mm -hmm. and in doing so makes it harder for me to give an over like i can logically say yes jake gyllenhaal uh acts and presents himself as characters so well that i don't see jake gyllenhaal but like for instance even i'll even go with the in the prisoners hugh jackman is in prisoners right yeah hugh jackman I always see Hugh Jackman. No matter how good his acting is, he has that weird Tom Cruise, like you always know it's him sort of vibe. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal even though he's a striking, good-looking dude, mm-hmm. he—I—I he, I don't get that vibe from him. It's always the character, and it's not Jake Gyllenhaal. So when people ask how do you like Jake Gyllenhaal, I don't have that feeling of mm-hmm. it. I have a logical sense of he's an excellent actor that portrays characters that I sometimes like and sometimes can't hate. But that still means he's doing his job well. Yeah. So I have no emotional response. I have a—I have a—I oh my god! Do I have a a critical response? Is that I think he's a wonderful actor, and I. Uh, I appreciate his work in everything I've ever seen him in.
1: Why can't they be both? Why can't you be emotional and critical? Because
0: and I don't uh, because. Well, you can be. It's just this case. I'm not. Right. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that exercise is impossible. Right. I'm just saying
1: you don't have a personal uh, affection for Mr. Gyllenhaal,
0: or or a or a or a non-affection, whatever that would be called. <laughs> yeah. um, any negativity whatsoever. I just I, I, like it's weird. I had to like double back in my logic programming. I'm totally human yeah. and and figure out this statement even before we began.
1: So for me, uh, Mr. Mr. Gyllenhaal is, I think, a very exciting actor, and I think he, the reason I think he's Exciting is that he has all the tenets of a leading man. Yep. Um, he's even done a couple of romantic comedies, that sort of thing. Obviously, he's a very attractive man. Mm-hmm. Putting that out there. Um, I don't think but, you're the first. Oh, I I thought I was. <laughs> 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 you hot first. take.
0: Hot take. Jake Gyllenhaal's a good-looking bro.
1: Very good-looking bro. Um, but uh, the thing that I think is, makes him exciting is that he picks really good movies, and I think that's a that's a particular talent. Uh, going back to uh, um, you know his the it wasn't his first film, but the certainly. The, the debut of uh, post-adolescent Jake Gyllenhaal, he was in a few films before that, was Donnie Darko. Why
0: do you wear that stupid man suit? Exactly. God, yeah. that was so deep when I was 16. Really? <laughs> you go back and watch Donnie Darko, it's not a bad film by it's a any means very good imagination, yeah. but it's real teen angsty. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a hardcore teen angsty.
1: Made by a very young filmmaker. Um, no, it's a very, uh, very, very good film. But I, I enjoyed this sort of... Um, persona that Jake Gyllenhaal presented, which is this guarded kind of protected teenager that it seems to be hiding something, and I think that's a quality that Jake Gyllenhaal brings to a lot of his characters, which is that there is it, it's it's difficult to sort of quantify because he is um, you know a, a very handsome man, but he seems to be hiding something at all times. I mean, he, he, he's played some creepers. He's played some creep, and he plays one in the movie. Yeah. We're gonna, in fact, in both movies, he plays a very creepy character. Um, really. We'll talk about both of them in a second, um, but uh, uh, I think you know there was a because he fills this category of leading man. He doesn't seem he he seems to me like a leading man who wants to be a character actor, and I think is actually a probably a pretty he would probably be a great character actor, as in the, the the kind of B character in every movie. If it wasn't for the fact that he was a great looking guy who seems to be you know like a leading man in every movie he casts. I mean, hell, look at Okja.
0: Yeah. And uh, granted, not a performance of his that I love. That is one but, performance I don't like. But, but
1: I he, he jumped in that. He jumped in, and I liked what he. I liked that he tried it.
0: He was just in a different movie than everybody else.
1: Um, he's gonna be in uh, the next Spider-Man movie. Uh, he's gonna be. He's playing Mysterio really yeah I I, how do you not know this this is like
0: I've been very busy right um uh, my nerd cred has slipped due to working on nerdy things okay Um, so
1: he's also in a game adaptation of the division that's coming up
0: as well that's probably gonna be boring Mm. AF but Mysterio (laughs) Mysterio he's playing Mysterio he could do. You know what though? You take that <laughs> manic nonsense and tone it down like forty percent from Okja, and you could be a good Mysterio. Throw in some some uh, Jim Carrey thre- theatrics, and you might have something there.
1: Here's the thing: I have no doubt about his abilities. Um, so, uh, if we're quantifying it by like, would I see a movie just based on the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal is in it? Yes, I would. Uh, because I'm always interested in what he's doing. Um, but, Matt, the first uh, because it, the, this review came in first, uh, we've obviously talked about uh, Nightcrawl. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what Nightcrawl is about?
0: I sure can, because there's this handy website called Internet Movie Database that gives us actual small descriptions of these things in bite-sized chunks. What? I'm going to read it. <laughs> When Louis Bloom, a con man desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. Star of his own story, eh? I guess that's accurate. I love that we judge accuracy on these now. It's just really funny. I'm not, yeah. It it, it is... um, yeah I, I mean, I, the star in his own story just seems like a little bit of alliteration flair to the end of this description. I don't quite know if that's really what the film is going for., uh, but it's not technically wrong i um uh, so I'm just gonna
1: jump in with a quick like little I, I would say this is taxi driver meets um drive, which see, is
0: but d- La- you're making the drive comparison. Laura's <laughs> making the drive comparison you don't see it? I see l a yeah. I see nighttime. Yeah. I don't think stylistically whatsoever. Uh, Th- anything... I think that's
1: what I'm saying. The, is is L.A. nighttime is what I... Is well, I guess
0: I... because there is nothing in that it is worthwhile in Drive other than the style.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> ha!
0: Another hot take. Straight <laughs> to you. Um, but the that could be why that association actually happens. Because... I,
1: I, I think I could come up with a bitter, sickened film... <sighs> Uh,
0: think about it. We'll yeah. get back to it.
1: Maybe 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 taxi driver meets network uh meets broadcast news. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Or taxi driver meets network. Okay. I mean, you It's a little little bit of both of those Just things. keep thinking of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it's uh that's the only real tie I saw. Um it's so a little bit of history with me having not seen this film. Mhm. I don't know why, and, and please, uh, Shahir, tell me right now, and everyone write in, at gmail.com because I think this is a really fun question that I think happens to everyone who enjoys film. Right. We all have our little, like, sort of film uh, dark spots, where we just sort of, like, there's a popular film that you just don't see – and, and everyone's seen it, and you're like, you don't see it in forever, and you hear things about it. You hear rumors or hearsay, but you don't really look for information on it. You just sort of like hear like what a movie is about. You're basically playing a game of telephone with various small snippets of information about the movie, and in your brain, you put together what you think the movie is. Right. So listeners, if you have a story like this, I want you to tell me um, what yours is. I'm going to tell you what mine is, and it's with Nightcrawler. <laughs> I never saw Nightcrawler, but everyone who ever talked about Nightcrawler when it came out, even after the Fact, people talking about film, they told me it was so, so, so creepy. Mm-hmm. It bordered on a horror film, but it but it was because Jake Gyllenhaal was a sexual predator. Huh. Now he is a little bit in this film a sexual predator, but that's not what I would consider the focus of this film. So I went into this film thinking this was going to be, like, a weird – I had no idea it was about – Um, it was about, I, like, the term nightcrawler is for, like, people who uh, film the the bloody stuff for the news the, at nighttime. <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah. Um, I thought he was going to be, like, some weird pervy person who, like, went and filmed, like, awful things and then started doing more awful. Like, it, not in this world. I thought it was going to be more – I was th- – from the telephone game I played with people, I thought this was going to be a much more – Sexually deviant film mm-hmm. than it was, right? Because whenever I heard about Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler, he's like, "Oh, he's so he's a he's a sexual predator," and it's just gross and I think disgusting. Better a reach to say he's a sexual predator. Uh, well, he, he does, does he does, does some things that, but he he's does, not a sexual predator. Well, he does force a woman uh, with hanging things over her job to have sex with him. So if that's not a sexual predator, I don't quite know what is. I mean, de- granted, there's, she there's a, many she's different a flavors. Willing
1: participant
0: in that she's being blackmailed. Yeah, but she's. She's being blackmailed. He is a sexual predator. He's not the type of that. He's not like a a child sexual predator or a. uh, Well, no, you know what? It look. I'm not going to get into exactly what this thing, but he could be considered a rapist. It's just there's 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 shades of this. I'm not going to not call him a sexual predator. He does some sexually deviant and sexual predator activity, but that is not what this film is about. No,
1: and I guess that's probably where I would say but I, I wouldn't call him a sexual predator because that's not what the film's about. Right, but he is
0: one, it's just not the focus.
1: There, there are some... So I think the thing that I want to get into with this film is the shades of morality that this film sure. plays with. let's and, do and, it. And the question that I think is interesting about this film is uh, something that I think a lot of films tend to play with. And I think when we go to see a movie, we make uh, essentially either an ethical or moral contract with a movie, which is that essentially
0: we... Is is my lawyer present?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your philosopher might be, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, on the whole, we generally tend to think that movies, while can dabble in morally repugnant uh, depictions, the films themselves will be either morally by the end of it, morally righteous or will take a stand which is positive because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be seeing the film. That's the, sure. the sort of moral that contract that we make for not seeing snuff films, for example. You know, We, we make the presumption that the film is actually um, on the side of some form of righteousness.
0: <laughs> well, yes, and I don't enjoy watching actual people die.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is why you wouldn't uh, engage with it. But there is a quality... The, this is a particular kind of film that I like um, where a film plays with the morality of the main character and and plays with the idea that not all people are good and not necessarily that, also the idea that, the world is not necessarily a good place, therefore the, this film won't necessarily appease that moral contract which we might expect. In other words, the good guys might not win, the evil might overcome sure, everything, sure, sure. And, and also the film might celebrate that um, as as a reality of the world. And I think there's a interesting thing that a lot of movies do, which is that, so, for example, and again, this is a genre, a style of, of filmmaking that I really enjoy and that I am, um, I think I'm particularly drawn to. Um, but, for example, uh, a film like The Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, which is a film I really, really love. Uh, Matt Damon, um, a movie from uh, many years ago uh, based on a Patricia Highsmith novel. Um the The film is about a morally repugnant character mm-hmm. who is the the central character who murders people and he mur- and the film kind of goes out of its way to give us the context for which he murders people. Uh, it gives us the reasoning behind it and it actually kind of makes us try to empathize with why he murders someone but the fin- the, the the closure of that film, also suggests that he is haunted by these deaths sure. and that he is alone and the final scene in that movie kind of suggests that he is empty because of these deaths. The thing that's interesting about Nightcrawler and I think we sh- we probably should have prefaced this that but we're going to do spoilers for all- for both these movies. Oh yes, is that this film doesn't necessarily take a moral position on the activities of Lou in this film. In fact, one of the things is he gets away with everything he does in this film. Right. And in fact, in fact triumphs and I'm not sure that the film actually uh, neither I, the film doesn't neither uh, doesn't either celebrate or condemn him. Um, it just kind of ends with him succeeding and triumphing, and I'm not sure. And the film kind of ends on a on a sort of uneven note, which I really really like. And I think that that question of what it, what that forces us to do is to ask the audience: Where do we stand morally on this character, and how do we feel about this character, and what do we think about? the way in which this character interacts with the world that the film has
0: created for him. I don't think the statement of the film taking a neutral stance is accurate. Okay. I think what it does to give us a neutral feeling by the end of the film is show us um, both sort of like the negative aspects of his, of his of, of Jake Gyllenhaal's character, of Lou, Mm-hmm. Uh, mixed with the positives that come from working in uh, this dark place, that sort of uh, th- these type of people would feed in, mm-hmm. and with that, it goes up and down from repugnant to success, repugnant to success, and in doing so, it sort of like gives us as a as an audience a neutral sort of uh, emotional tone to it. Right. The um, I think the movie is always telling us that he's an awful person. I think the, that situationally we see that in this, in this world of night crawling, awful people move up the chain. Right. And uh, in that sense, uh, it's, it's not, it neutrals just, uh, just rub me the wrong way. It, it, I don't know what the, it, it's, but do you it's, it's a grave. Do you
1: think the film is condemning him?
0: I think the film is trying to both condemn him and show you that in this world condemned people can still succeed. Right. <laughs> um, or or people that society would normally condemn can still succeed. Right. Oh, look, that's everywhere, but like this film does a good job at sort of like being like, yeah. And also showing you how that would happen logically, emotionally, etc. Yeah. Um, so I think it's uh it's weird because this is something and not to bring it back to Marvel or comics, but he's a supervillain and he's a supervillain because he's he a supervillain to me in a weird sort of way. And it doesn't really have to do with sort of superpowers. He's mm-hmm. he's he's just he's that level of maniacal uh, uh, that is so kind of weirdly almost naturally ahead of the game. Mm hmm. Uh, he gives that sort of bit of like, yeah, he's bad. He's doing bad things. We're being shown he's doing bad things, but he's so good at doing these bad things that he will just get away with it because he's that sort of preternaturally like ready for the next bad thing he's going to do. Okay. And, and and again, supervillain is a weird sort of yeah, term I, for I, it. Yeah. But um, it, you know, the way this film is structured, he's a fucking mad genius. Like, and he gets away with stuff because he's so smart. And uh, that's that, if that's not a supervillain esque quality, then I better give back all my Power Man 5000 CDs. So the thing,
1: the thing that I think there is, I, I, I don't quite by the term supervillain as a i I understand what you're trying to say but i don't think supervillain is quite the correct term uh to use in this context um i the thing that i think is interesting here is is where the film kind of comes down in terms of commentary Mm -hmm. is that he exhibits the kind of capitalist um um axioms that people who attend a lot of self-help uh, you know, self-help kind of... Oh, yes. Um, ...workshops, you know, would exhibit. He, he is the kind of uh, pure vision of... Um uh, of american entrepreneurial independence commercialism you know, he's, he's 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 capitalist by nature he understands that you know he he spouts uh, these these uh, platitudes at every chance he gets you know for example a friend is a gift you give yourself yep. it's not the kind of thing that a normal human being says in conversation <laughs> it's the kind of thing that someone who is psychologically um, bankrupt in some way but can only latch on to this one particular mode of of interpersonal communication uses, and that's what this character does. He he doesn't quite interact in a human way to right. everyone. He kind of spouts these aphorisms at, at, at every turn. Um, and and the thing that I think is interesting, and where the film kind of come becomes interesting, mm-hmm. is that it puts him into a situation where that would. Ordinarily, you might have a character that bounces back up against that, but he's he's working in a morally bankrupt field. He's working in an area where the you know uh, quite openly uh, Rene Russo's news director says, if it bleeds, it leads. What we're interested in is not actual crime. What we're interested in is is crime that affects higher socioeconomic people because that's our demographic. Yeah. So we're not actually interested in telling you news. We're interested in feeding the people that who watch us with the things that will make them scared in order to keep them watching. And that is the kind of capitalist bankruptcy that this character who's able to come in and work in now it's to me what it is is it's a good meld of the right kind of character in the right kind of world um that allows him to get ahead. you know like if he tried for example i think one of the you know the most astounding scenes in this film is the dinner table exchange negotiation where he decides you know where he tells renee russo i want to be dating you i want to be intimate with you and he kind of gives her these um Fairly repugnant reasons that come obviously from some sort of self-help book or, you know, uh, some kind of negotiating tactic. But in any other situation, any other character would reject that because it's morally repugnant. It's, It's an awful thing to kind of sit and go, no, why would I do this? But she actually needs him and she wants to kind of continue the relationship that she has with him because it feeds the industry that she works in and it feeds what she needs from him. And you
0: don't think that's predatory behavior?
1: I think it is predatory behavior. I think I I guess I have a difference in the. I I have a different definition of sexual predator. He
0: he literally is uh, blackmailing or coercing her and making her do something sexually that she would not do otherwise.
1: But yeah, I, I see your point there, and I, I guess, I don't. He doesn't. He. He is morally bankrupt in many, many, many ways, and part of that is he has some sort of he has sexual deviancy where sex is part of a power play for him. But is he? Yeah, man, maybe it's a shade of gray of sexual predator. uh, I think it's a
0: pretty straightforward shade of sexual predator. I really do. I can't be shaken on this. Like, and again, I'm not trying to
1: shake you on it. I just don't think that the film is really focused on that because no, but he is one because the environment which he lives in. Allows him to operate this way.
0: He's also a murderer. Like there's there's other things that he is that is bad, right? And I think and the thing that I think is interesting
1: there is the machinations that allow him to basically commit murder without
0: committing murder. A Machiavellian mm-hmm. type mind that a supervillain would probably I, be I think at home
1: bi- in. I, I, is, 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 is supervillain is so far removed from what this movie
0: is that that I he think he has was, a lot of traits like one. Uh, I, only one that wins. Maybe that's the one thing <laughs> that other than you know, no superpowers of course, but that that the that actually differentiates him from a supervillain is I, that I get, he's, you know, he gets away. You know with why
1: him. I don't like using that phrase is because that's putting a frame of reference that we're accustomed to today on a film that has no bearing on superhero narrative or anything like that. I think, I think he is a morally... Like, that's like saying Norman Bates is a supervillain. You know what I mean? No, because there, because Norman has, Bates always has like a pretty skill to like do things. It's he like doesn't saying, really. He is, just is,
0: gets away with stuff because he's in a remote hotel. This guy is thinking nine steps. He's like fucking Lex Luthor.
1: Do you think? Um, um, he's a super. Villain. Tom Ripley
0: is a super villain.
1: Tom Ripley, um, the talented Mr. Ripley.
0: Um. <laughs> Possibly, but Tom Ripley's not fucking murdering and, and basically forcing people to have sex with him. Like, the the the, the thing is, and again, I, we don't have to harp on this because it's not the most interesting part. Yeah. He's a supervillain like Lex Luthor is a supervillain. Lex right. Luthor doesn't have any superpowers, but his superpower is he's super smart and he uses that for evil machinations for himself. That's what Lou does in this movie. And therefore, if Lex Luthor is a supervillain, and I think he is, then Lou could also <laughs> be considered that. But that but again, I I, I don't even I feel I, bad I arguing I, yeah, this I, point I, even I, more because that's not what we should be talking
1: yeah, about. Yeah, I just I find it sort of like a um the It's term, tangential. Uh, yeah. We're not gonna agree on it. Let's move on. Okay. Um so the thing there I, I, I think I, I found No, no, so I'll be straight up. The first time I watched this movie, I actually there was a part of it I really didn't enjoy. Oh. And that was the fact that because I used to work in, in television news.
0: I did too. Yeah. So we both worked in television yes, news. Yes, and, and the camera stuff, like I, the going to do these
1: yeah, things. Yeah, going to sites and, and and actually doing it.
0: I was a more more of an editor, but I did occasionally go to sites and, you know, like I was assistant camera. I went to, I went day and night and I saw some shit.
1: Yeah. And the thing was there is that I, 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 in my first viewing, when the kind of thing descended into car chases around LA, I was like, This is a fantasy of how the news world operates. Um, The second time I watched it, uh, I was much more invested in the moral questions of this film Mm -hmm. than I was in the way in which he kind of like um, worked through the 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 way in which news media operates in America. And especially, particularly, kind of, uh, uh, I think this film kind of really spells out: this is local news, you know. So this isn't like CNN running around. This is your local news station chasing ambulances, kind of story. Or, you know, like people doing that kind
0: of work. Do you remember your station name? Television New Zealand. Oh, okay. I was I was WNDS The Winds of New England.
1: Oh, there you go. W (laughs) N D S. Did you have people who were
0: night crawl i actually didn't see any uh night crawlers. i was more day shift I was assistant camera there uh with my good friend dave who was like lead uh news camera person um and i was fresh out of uh this was actually between high school and college for me during my off year and uh we would we would go and see something and he he told me some things he did a lot more of it than i did obviously that um you know you you see some stuff because it's a lot of you know, if it bleeds, it leads sort yeah. of a mentality. And again, not to say that WNDS was ever sort of like that gratuitous as this news organization seems to be, because it was like a nightly news program for us, you know, as small yeah. uh, and not necessarily. But like they knew fear sold yeah. and they knew like bad things happening to nice Rich, looking people yeah. uh, or, or culturally, whatever sort of just that whatever the news tells us that is. Um And. It it it's uh it it it's it stuck with him and and the v- the very little bit of it stuck with me. It's not a fun place. There's a reason I didn't stay there.
1: Yeah, I emailed uh, Stephen, uh, who's a, a listener in New Zealand, and I actually worked with Stephen, and he was a camera operator at Television New Zealand. Um, and he emailed me back, and he said uh, his his major takeaway from Nightcrawler was that it was a fantasy of what the news industry was, and as a fantasy of String of life, which Stephen was, uh, it is a well act well made and acted movie. Uh, I think my biggest objection is while they get a lot wrong. Both technically and motivational, it's well done inside the rules of the movie and feels realistic-ish. Yeah. Uh, the fantasy is portrayed as real life normal when it's not. I mean, if Rampage was played as a typical day uh, in the life of a zookeeper, viewers would still know that it was not the real or normal. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if they would get that from Nightcrawler. And I guess what Steven's saying here is that he feels a little saddened that that this film kind of uses his industry in a sort of fantastical way, and and we're in a particular climate where uh, I guess. Stephen may be feeling this is that, you know, like uh, there's a lot of the the term fake news gets tossed around a lot uh, and it reinforces all their negative views on vulture stereotypes of the news gathering um, of news gathering organizations. Sure. So that that was actually, and I I 100% felt that the first time I watched this movie. But the second time I watched it, all I was focused on was the, the moral line between the character of Lou, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and what the film was commenting on about him. Okay. And and whether the film said anything. Because, because, so for example, the talented Mr. Ripley has a real clear line where the last person Tom Ripley kills is someone he loves. And someone that he can go off and make a bit of life with. And if he just didn't do the... If he just... If he, if he wasn't in the situation he was in, he would actually be happy. And sure. He has to kill this person, and now he's alone. And so that, you know, it, it leaves him alone, abandoned. It leaves the, us, the audience, realizing the emptiness of this character. Uh, at the end of, of Nightcrawler, um, Lou succeeds. Lou, you know, gets his... Um, And there's an interesting thing there, which is that at the very, very start of the film, he attacks a security—you know—a security guard comes upon him as he's stealing uh, piping or something like that, copper, uh, and chain link fence. Yeah, from a construction yard, and we see at the very end frame the watch that he stole from that security guard right at the start of the film, and and so we're saying that he hasn't really. Transformed. He's just a. He's just gotten bitter at what he what he was like at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's gotten so good that he's acquired now the thing that Bill Paxton was trying to do in the middle of the film, which is acquire a few trucks. He has interns now, and they're off riding into the night. He seems to be uh, dominating the news industry. And I think the thing about that final shot is is that while. There are films I have seen which are morally repugnant to me. Sure, um, there are a couple of films which I think kind of cross that line in, in unappealing ways. This is not a film that actually does that, despite him succeeding and despite riding off into the night, because I think the film overall is smarter than m- smarter than celebrating him. It's more acknowledging that this is the reality of the world. That we that that this character lives in, where this is this is the type of thing that actually succeeds, and these are the people that are out there, kind of in the same way that uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver ends with Travis Bickle continuing to ride off in the night in his taxi picking right. up people. Um, and I think I think that's a it's a really interesting line, and that's what I really really responded to in the second viewing, which is that you know the film kind of makes forces us to ask a question about what we think of this character and it's not commenting one way or the other uh about this character's success
0: i think it is i mean i think you you think it's celebrating his success no no i don't think it's celebrating but it's most definitely comment i mean the entire film is a comment on this type of person succeeding commentary the commentary is bad people succeed in a bad world Okay. Uh that's what the commentary is. That's what this is. It's, if you boil down what this sort of is, it's it's far more interesting than that based on character and performance and film craft and all that jazz, but it's 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 literally telling us, yeah, if you are this type of if you if these type of bad people can survive in these type of bad situations and thrive. Right. Uh it's it, I don't think it's condemning the news so much. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's condemning these particular type of uh, organizations or, or, quote, news people that do do this sort of stuff.
1: I guess that's my point. Is I don't feel that the film is making a condemnation either.
0: Oh, well how could it not I mean it painted it painted almost everyone involved in this in this enterprise as morally bankrupt and at at, 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 at best uh and uh much much worse at worst so like I don't think any... but do you I,
1: think you're bringing that condemnation in or is the film bringing that condemnation in
0: the film is bringing me to that because it's showing me that so, like, so, so, unless, so this is what unless I think we're is stripping interesting. society away and we're not looking at social norms of or even morality like yeah is there
1: any character in this film Film who represents a social norm for you?
0: Um uh, partially his partner, mm-hmm. played by Riz Ahmed. Yep. Um. Um. But then he just straight up gets murdered. So it's like, meh. Not straight up. Actually, very Machiavellian way of getting him murdered. But he gets murdered. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's probably the closest main character.
1: Yeah. But do you f- do you feel the film gives you remorse for that character's death? Or th- this is my point is i I don't think that the film goes out of its way to condemn this character. and I don't think it goes out of its way to c- celebrate it, which is why I land on this point of neutrality. I think and, and, and I think that neutrality is 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 actually morally interesting because it allows us to ask that question.
0: I think the neutrality is there and tenable. I think how the film gets there, how we're interpreting it is very, very different. Like I said, it's sort of like peaks and troughs of what we're being shown we're being shown success and then the fucking nightmare that it took to get there back and forth up and down and and you add all those sort of points together and you get sort of a gray tone neutral place I don't think the film is uh, and maybe in its construction if I if I'm trying to marry our two thoughts together maybe that construction is what gives that vibe and if you look at the film as a whole as opposed to just sort of points and checks and balances then you do get to that point however it is still only showing you things that you would normally look at as being morally repugnant and and wrong, right? Um, but it's it's doing so in a sense of and then there's success. And this is what I think is the is the the amazing
1: uh, the display of talent in this film. Sure. Uh, so Dan Gilroy, who wrote and directed this film, um, demonstrates here is that and, and there's a there's a good video essay uh, by listens uh, from screenplay about this, which is called "Sympathy for the Antihero." Um, and it's something that, it, it's a particular style of film that I really, really like. And it's and it's basically the kind of film which puts us in a position of watching someone or something that we wouldn't experience in real life and we would normally judge as negative, but allows us to view it as an objective viewer and make our own judgments. And, and I think that the skill in this film is basically having a character who is morally repugnant, who is... Um, who is morally bankrupt, who is probably sociopathic in mi- in many ways. Very much Who, who so. demonstrates antisocial behavior all the way through. So he doesn't even have, you know, moments of of kind of loose connection. There's no, you know, there's no... When I think about him in this movie on his own, I think of him smashing a mirror in rage, and I think of him laughing sort of like uh, in a strange way at something that's happened.
0: What other type of characters laugh in strange ways when things happen?
1: I'm just gonna say it. Not
0: every <laughs> film is a superhero film.
1: <laughs> In fact, you're the only person that laughs like that. He
0: also he also has minions at the end. Just want to point that out. But that's neither interns? here nor there. Interns? Is yeah. that what
1: you, uh, <laughs> minions or interns? Yep. Or minions like the minion like the yellow yeah, minions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um so I think it's actually a, a really remarkable demonstration of craft. And then again, the you know, the the reason I like this kinds of film as well is it it it's it's the kind of film that would get noted to death unless a studio supports it. It's the kind of film where you're like, oh, we've got to see his backstory to see how he got like this. Or, you know, right. we've gotta we've gotta empathize with him in some way. And this film doesn't actually ever ask us to empathize with this character. It never asks us to be on his side. But it maintains a focused, precise view of him. And it stays on him the entire way.
0: It's interesting that you bring up backstory. And I think this is a place that a lot of films uh, falter. Because I think... I don't know if it's studio or producers or directors or writers or whatever, but when it falters, when there's no backstory, I'm not interested at all. The The thing about this is we get the exact amount of backstory we need to move forward and learn something about the character, even though that is he's still the same guy at the end. Right. And that is, in the beginning, when he's trying to steal metal to sell for Trump change, his interaction with the guy he beats up and takes his watch, his interaction of both trying to be professional with the person and then getting kicked out of this place because they didn't want to hire a thief. Like, there's this whole thing where that, that whole section is his backstory. Yeah, And so, so I think mm-hmm. he does have backstory, but the writers or the creators are smart enough to know Here's all the important backstory you need. We don't need to see, like, he was abused as a child or neglected or, like, when he was a teenager, uh, he got his heart broke. Like, that's all bullshit that I feel like people build into films that are, like, basically doing paint-by-numbers crap. And this is not that. They give backstory, but just enough to get us on board with the type of story to the type of character that this film is trying to play.
1: Yeah, and I think what that has to do is faith in the audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and that's what I really appreciate about this film – In particular, in films like this, is that it requires uh, an audience to be intelligent. It requires an audience. It's it's not going to handhold you through this experience. It because it's it's not going to say one way or the other. You know, this is a good person or a bad person, or here's here's this. Yes, it does. I I don't think it does. I think it doesn't handhold you through this experience. No, no,
0: that's (laughs) handholding. Handholding and telling you or showing you if a person is good or bad is not the same thing. Right.
1: So, what? How does it show you? I mean, you're you're saying it you watch the same thing
0: here.
1: you and I are saying the same thing here which is that your own morality judges at which level you think this person is a good or bad person for example
0: as in if everything
1: if, for example, if you have similar like if you are a person who maybe has poor interpersonal skills and is the kind of person who goes to self-help seminars and you know spouts those kinds of phrases sure. at all times when you when he does the when he goes and asks for a job and uses
0: uses those to try and get the job
1: you might be on his side. Sure. You're or then if you're not,
0: then you might not let's, be. Let's pause that because not everything in, 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 you know, exists in this vacuum. Then he'll do something morally repugnant, or repugnant like be a sexual predator. You were about to say morally Republican. Uh, yeah, morally Republican. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, but being either a sexual predator or a fucking downright murderer. Yeah. And then you realize, if, even if you were remotely on his side, you're not even on his side in the base, on the backstory when he basically sucker punches a dude and steals his watch. Like, this movie is telling you he is a bad man. I th- there, I
1: th- and I think that's what is, that's what is an interesting thing is that he crosses several lines during this film and you have to make the decision which because he just keeps crossing them. like like to me, one of the first lines that he crosses that that uh, obviously he's a criminal at the beginning of the film and it's acknowledged. But later on he he I actually identified with him when he was trying to become a newsperson. I identified with that sense of like being in a world where you are the complete amateur but you want to be there. And then, he drags a body into the light, right? And that and that was a that was a line for me. And but I was and I think what's the... great about the film is it offers you plenty of lines for you to choose where where is where is your cross?
0: Sure, but he eventually gets there, no matter what. If you have any moral moral fiber in you, and you realize this is a bad man, therefore the film is not neutral on him. The film portrays him at, in an increasing section of bad activity, morally speaking, in our current society, and that means that he is a bad person. But he is a bad person that succeeds. So I find the only thing I think we end at the same spot of how this movie made us feel, but in how we get there, I will not say that this film paints him in a in a in a uh, in a in a gray area light at all. This film, as it moves forward, paints him in an increasingly worse light because we start to see the worst of his tendencies come through.
1: I think I agree with that point. I think what I'm saying here is that the film doesn't ever at any point condemn him because of his actions i think the film continues to show how bad he is and then ask us to make a decision at which point do we but because the thing is we stay on board with it right isn't that the isn't that the remarkable thing about this film is that we completely stay on board with it the whole way sure as a demonstration of craft i think that's pretty extraordinary um and that's what i i really really liked about this film is that is that it played in that sort of Space that I think a lot of studio films don't get into, which is characters who do terrible things, but we are just going to continue watching them, yeah, without any sort of sense of judgment.
0: Would you say that's your final thought? Because we should move on to movie two. I think
1: the that thought will leap into prisoners in an interesting way. Okay,
0: I would say I liked this movie a lot. Uh, I don't know if I'd rewatch it, but I'm glad I finally got to watch it. Uh, I think if you haven't seen it, it's super interesting, and you should. Um, and I think uh, he also has a sidekick, so he still could be a super oh, God. <laughs>
1: I will, I will. I will say this. I, I'm. I'm actually really grateful that Laura got me to rewatch it because it was a film that I. I liked, but I didn't love. But when you men- when she mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, I do kind of want to see that again. Nice. And I. I. Uh, I think you know, like uh, I've been thinking a lot about our review process, and I think the reviews I like less are the ones which, where we review it immediately. Um, I, I. I find that you know, like you're kind of just coming to a response right away without having to like let the film digest. And this is a case where I've oh, seen I the see. film and then I've. I've I've been given time to digest it and think about it more. And we very, what I love about this conversation is we very rarely actually touched on story points. We touched on on what the film means. Yeah. And I think that's a really, that, that's what was great about revisiting it. So I hope, Laura, that that kind of uh, covers some of the,
0: or, or gives you food for thought sure. about that. Here's to you, Laura. Um, well, I guess with that in mind, <laughs> I guess I have to say, uh, what is up, internet? <laughs> yeah, let's do it again. Uh, they didn't cry until I left them. My name is Matthew Kroll, and forgive us for
1: our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
0: My name is Shahir Dow, and this is still the only <laughs> podcast about movies. Specifically, now moving on to our second film of this review roundup: Prisoner, directed by Denis Villeneuve. And-
1: 2013, which is actually the fourth film by Danny Villanueva. Is it the fourth? No, we've done Enemy, uh, we've done Arrival, we've done Blade Runner. This is the fourth the fourth fo- one, fourth film by him oh. that, we've, uh, God that bless. we've done. God bless you, Danny. Uh, and this I was very excited to revisit. This is the film that I bought immediately after seeing. Uh, you know, as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, uh, I've watched it uh, three or four times uh, when uh, since it came out. And when when Rafael uh, uh, emailed us and asked us to review view it.
0: uh, I was completely excited by that. Was that in May 2017? Now, this is the funny thing. Do you want to read out (laughs) Rafael's email? Sure, let's go. Uh, If I may, I'd like to suggest another thing for discussion. Prisoners. It's a 2013 movie with Hugh Jackman and Paul Dano. I saw it in the movie theater and was thoroughly impressed by it. I think there's a lot of food for thought with this movie. Unfortunately, I don't think the movie got the attention that it deserves at the time. And uh, the the point that I wanted to make there is, Raphael. I saw
1: this movie with you at that screening, so I was with him when he when he saw it at the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I one hundred percent agree with that sentiment. This is uh, w- and the last time we actually brought this film up uh, was in our Logan review mm. because uh, while we are we are in the Jake J- Jake Gyllenhaal thriller hour, uh, I think the thing I said in Logan was, and, and I really really liked Logan, um, uh, was that I wanted to see... I had seen Hugh Jackman in Prisoners, and I had seen how much he invested in such a morally um, difficult character, and I wanted to see that from Logan. So I was really excited when Logan kind of did that. You know, Logan allowed... The Hugh Jackman that I'd seen in Prisoners to come forth into the yep. into into the Marvel world or to the X Men world, so I was really excited about. It. The other thing I was really excited about um, is that I think a really formative film for me when I was growing up was Seven, David Fincher's movie. Oh yeah, that was a really I saw that uh, way younger than I should have. My brother took me to see it at the movie theater. It was one of like the first big boy films that I'd seen in a movie theater. Okay. And and it really made an impression on me, not because uh, the story was, uh, was so gripping, but also because it made an impression on me about filmmaking. It was like one of those really important films for me that made me think about how a film gets constructed. And I found prisoners made me feel the same way Uh, and i saw prisoners in 2013 when it came out i saw it in the opening weekend when it came out um and i found that it did the same thing for me which is that it it got me excited about films that were well it got me excited about films that are rich in theme are really really rich in theme and and use that theme in almost every scene in some subtle way to build up to a cumulative effect. So I was really, really excited by this film. I've seen it many
0: times. Uh, happy to revisit it. Matt, first time around for you. What's in the box? <laughs> film Filmcraft? Uh, no, I, I dug the crap out of it. Uh, I am not a... Um I'm not a hunter down of thrillers or sort of like true crimey murder films. Listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, mainly last podcast on the left. I mean, shout out to them. They're the largest (laughs) true crime podcast there is right now. Yeah. Um, But I don't actually hunt down films in this genre. Yeah. but. They tend to find me at random points in my life, and I don't dislike them. I actually normally like them very much. But I just this is something that when it came out, it just sort of passed me by because it's not a genre I um, actively throw myself at. But when push comes to shove and I see them, I tend to enjoy them. Um, IMDB, just so we can get it out of the way, says this about prisoners. When Keller Dober's daughter and her friend go missing he takes matters into his own hands as the police pursue multiple leads and the pressure mounts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That's all true. All true. Uh, First of all, second of all, great cast. Yeah. Not only Jake Gyllenhaal, Hugh Jackman. You got uh, Terrence Howard and uh, Viola Davis. Yeah. Uh, You have uh, Paul Dano. Yeah. Who, fan favorite of the podcast, Paul Dano.
1: We've done Swiss Army Man with him. Youth. Youth, we did
0: Youth. Uh, there them. was one other I can't quite remember, but yeah. I. whenever he pops up, we're always like, ah, it's Paul Dano.
1: I'm still like a sucker for There Will Be Blood, and uh, he's got his directorial debut coming out this year as well, which we
0: will get to see. Oh, nice. Good, good. Um, who else is in this? Oh, even Hell, down to, um, uh, what's his name, who is just an Ant-Man, uh, David Dashmachian, or yeah. uh, how he plays, plays Bob in yeah. this movie. Uh, Bob meets, uh, well, we will get into it. <laughs> um, yeah, this film uh was was a was a was a clencher was a was a having you know not knowing what exactly is going on it does a great job keeping you as an audience member uh in the same sense of um thinking you figured it out and then uh realizing that you hadn't and the assumptions you made were false mm-hmm. um and it does a great great job of that. It also does um I, I notice this a lot. I complain about specific filmmaking uh techniques a lot in um on this podcast. And one thing I do often complain about, and listeners and Shaheer, you'll probably remember this, is the slow push-in or the slow pull-out in films. Okay, This film has a lot of that, yeah. but it does it in an effective way and I think it has to, and it's sort of made me focus what my problem is on more. It's not on the 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 zoom in, zoom out or push in, push out. It's actually on how the edit is handled around those moments. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times a less skilled filmmaker than, than Danny Villeneuve... Uh, would basically like to sort of, or I, we're not, not not skilled, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, able to res, uh, restrain, or I don't know, uh, knowing when enough is enough. Okay. Basically, um, a lot of films, when there's a great shot, like they kind of selfishly want to like stay on it a little bit longer than they should, and they do the slow push. This movie, as far as from a technical angle, never did that for me. It has its pushes and it knows exactly where it wants your eye to go, and for how long it wants your eye to be there. And then it moves on to the next thing it wants to show you. I think I was impressed as fuck with the editing of this movie. Like, it really did... It took a lot of tropes that I dislike in filmmaking, especially, like, shot choices and things like I just described, but used them in the way where I'm like, yes, this is why... Okay, so the, I, the reason I don't like things is not quite accurate. It's actually probably more likely the editing that I don't like these certain type of shot choices when they edit them differently than this. I thought this was put together so well for what they were doing.
1: I mean, on that point, it is shot by Roger Deakins, so <laughs>
0: there you one go. of the
1: greatest cinematographers of all time uh, behind the camera. And the thing that I think is interesting uh, in the way it was shot by Roger Deakins is it's not showy at all. No, It doesn't feel like, I mean, this is one of the, the, the people who can light any scene to the most beautiful degree, uh, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't show. Up. There's one sequence in this film that I think kind of comes to the level of what we would expect uh, a Roger Deakins film to do: um, hospital
0: chase or a yeah. hospital drive.
1: Yeah, hospital chase sequence. But but other than that, this film is very restrained, uh, very beautifully painted uh, with sh- shades of light and dark, but not shades of light and dark that don't feel realistic. To uh, I, I actually don't know where this film is set,
0: but uh, uh, it's uh, in um, um, uh, b- 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 Ohio. Something no, like uh, God, uh, Pennsylvania
1: Pen- is it Pennsylvania? Um, yeah, you know, it, 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 a sort of suburb, uh, a sort of uh, middle American suburb, uh, and I think, and I think that's a really beautiful testament to to not only Roger Deakins, the way it's edited by uh, Gary Roach uh, and Joel Cox, but also uh, Villeneuve's. Uh, understanding of what makes a scene important i've actually uh i've been going back into villeneuve's back catalog a little bit um uh, i rewatched watched which is incredible uh even better a second time around and i rewatch and uh, polytechnic is available on hulu right now as well yeah. which is one of his early films um so so there's a technical craft to this film sure. uh that is you know there's a reason why denny villeneuve is denny villeneuve at this point um you know he uh, seems to be the heir apparent to to David Fincher. Yep, uh, in many respects, with it, which is that, that I would argue better in
0: my own personal humble weird, not well, no one cares opinion.
1: <laughs> well, in the, the heir apparent is kind of maybe the wrong phrase as well because David Fincher's still around and still making amazing stuff.
0: R.I.P. Uh, David Fincher. <laughs> yeah.
1: Man, no. uh, you got to check out Ma- uh, Mindhunter on uh, Netflix. Yeah, um, but. Uh, so there's an incredible display of craft. In a way, uh, there's a stronger display of a very specific kind of craft than Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, you know, is the first film by Dan Gilroy. Um, it doesn't necessarily. It, it demonstrate. Nightcrawler demonstrated to me the stronger hand of a, ri- of, a of an excellent writer mm-hmm. than it did of an excellent director. Even that though it is, sense. even though it is directed very very well. And the, the the only point I want to sort of like caveat that with is this is the kind of film school directing that Denis Villeneuve is. Doing. Doing. it's very very good it's very it's very precise it's very pronounced it's very like rich on theme and not every filmmaker is like that like you know even though Jean-Luc Godard gets taught in film schools his his brand of filmmaking doesn't line up with David Fincher's but it's still equally amazing sure I mean because so,
0: Fincher's not lining up for the all you need is a girl and a gun sort of mentality yeah
1: they... that sort of thing but also uh you know like um Godard's sense of playfulness, or his sense of, of sure. moving the camera in weird directions. Right, right, right. Um, so, so this is a kind of a very film schooly kind of, and it's a very. Um uh, I don't know how to quantify this, but a very male kind of like directing kind of you know like I I've, I see a lot of like young male filmmakers aspiring to this kind of filmmaking.
0: Sure, I mean, and the the subject matter of both of these films, but this one I would say more in particular yeah. it does speak to the um, the uh, provider esque male fantasy of the um, of almost like the fallen competent man. Yeah, if that sort of makes sense, it's when the you know uh, it's 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 he's the Hugh Jackman's character is prepared for anything he's a prepper but not like crazy he uh he's uh religious he teaches his family he keeps them safe etc until he doesn't yeah and then shit hits the fan and he sort of dives into uh madness for a bit but unlike say
1: denzel washington's
0: man on fire right (laughs) it
1: goes in what's really astounding about this film is the is the screenplay um and and this is a a a screenplay by aaron goselowski uh Guzowski, G-Z- God bless you. Um, uh, and it's and it's he hasn't written too much, but this is a very is a deeply. Rich screenplay That that basically Again, it's a thing that I love It does this in a completely different way Than uh, than Nightcrawler does But it tests the morality of this character mm-hmm. It tests the morality of Keller Keller is kind of introduced as a As a religious man As a sort of self-righteous man And then he has his morality tested When he has to When he makes a decision To take the law into his own hands and, and what's great about that Is that is taking the law into your own hands, and vigilanteism is something very prevalent in American cinema. It's very prevalent in a lot of cinema. Sure, uh, well, in narratives in general. In narratives in general, yeah, because you know, if, if films were just about cops doing their job well, uh, we probably wouldn't see a lot of movies. <laughs> but, but this does that while thoroughly interrogating. The consequences of his actions, not just not just physically upon the people that he's with, not just um, not just from a legal standpoint, but also emotionally and uh, philosophically, um, it actually it puts him in really difficult positions. And to see an actor like Hugh Jackman get to work in that in that world where he has doubt about what he's doing, I think is extraordinary. And I think it it gets us to to see him put all of his talents we we all agree Hugh Jackman is oh. a leading man uh, and uh, you know incredible singer dancer actor performer in
0: every respect quintuple threat
1: yeah and, but but seeing him being put on the spot and and I think what I love is really he he seems to be really relishing the opportunity to do work like this which which allows him to be big and theatric but allows him those quiet moments of reflection as well and the film challenges his character's actions at every turn it does it doesn't let him off the hook uh, for anything he does um so I think that is extraordinary and I think this film has one of the best endings of a film I've seen in a long time.
0: Let's talk about the ending and how it's again another example of a th- of a film uh, trope. Yeah. that I usually fucking hate. Okay. Uh, I did not hate it here. Okay. And the explain why you hate it. Well, I, let me. I'll explain sort of why I normally hate yeah, it, we'll and then why, you why you I think it. I didn't hate it here. Okay. I normally hate it because a lot of times I feel like it is a cop-out. Okay. Um, when a story ends on an open note with a main character, um, you, you don't know the fate of a main character or characters, uh, it it leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth because we just spent two hours and some change with these characters and you've led me to believe that what happens to this person is the most important thing and now you're not going to show it to me because uh, multiple different reasons. Maybe you weren't happy with a certain ending that it would have happened. Maybe you just want the audio... To decide, which I think is a cop out. Maybe you want, um, y- you you think that that is the strongest ending, but I I I always normally disagree. The example I always go back to is the lobster. Okay. Um, the lobster's ending. I think even though I loved a lot of that film, in my opinion, is bullshit. And and when you take main characters and you don't tell me sort of what happens to them in the end. Uh, it bugs me. Now, you could argue against that in places, but the thing about here, and I think I figured it out. Okay. This movie, while our main character's fate isn't truly decided. Mm-hmm. We know exactly – the film does a great enough job setting up the world that it takes place in that the film itself, we know exactly what will happen one way or the other basically to this character. And we don't need to see it, nor do we even need to know, you know, and what I'm, we're talking about is at the end of the movie, with spoilers, uh, Hugh Jackman is stuck in a crime scene in a hole and the 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 main the main thing of the the film itself, the rescue of these two little girls that were taken has already happened. So the story of the film is at a close. Mm-hmm. And even though there's a lot of the story that has to do with Hugh Jackman's actual you know character journey the 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 structure of the story is complete we found the murderers we know why this that and the other thing and the, the the side tangent is sort of Hugh Jackman's journey and and emotionally how he gets there and so where he basically ends up physically at the end of this film is not even the point of anything because we know what will happen One way or another, you know, if he's if uh, if Jake Gyllenhaal's um, Detective Loki, Mm -hmm. I won't make a comment.
1: Um, I'm impressed you got this far without Um, the
0: the if he pulls him out of that hole, uh, he's going to jail. Right. Uh, If he doesn't pull him out of that hole, he's going to die. Either way, his family is probably still irreparably damaged. Mm hmm. Um, with uh, not only the, the kidnapping and in, in return and sort of uh, the, the ordeal the daughter went through, but now they don't have uh, the father. Yeah. And so it, the reason it doesn't bug me here is because every question I need answered for all of these characters has already been answered by the film. It's just not showing me one particular timeline that this film needs to go down more. It It plays back even into... There's various fade outs, fades to black in this movie. And I normally don't like that either, but like this movie it's 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 showing restraint and craft and it's getting you to a point it needs it knows it needs to get you to and then moves on. And then it knows and it it gains that trust throughout the film that you know as a viewer that you're going to get everything you need from it. Right. Um, so, so I know I've been a little bit rambly, but I think that's what it is. When when the film can wrap itself up mm-hmm. and still leave an open ended thing as sort of um as sort of um uh, extras the wrong word or or a spice or something mm-hmm. I don't know with my food analogies, but like it's not leaving any plot point open. Right. It's just leaving the the various butterfly effect paths that we kind of know the outcome of the two major ones. Uh, it doesn't have to answer that to, for us because it it knows we know either way what's gonna happen.
1: Right i i i do agree with you. I think the film is a is one of those really clever endings where it it comes to a finality and we don't need any more. We, the film is over. Even though it, it ends on a question mark, uh, we know the film is over and we don't need to see any more of, the, of what's happening. And I think the things that you referenced there are an example of a film working in tandem with the screenplay to develop story at every turn. So every time there's a fade out, there's a story point that's being delivered at that point that we don't need to see any more information here. And it's a really smart, economical screenplay. The The reason why I think the ending really works is that the qu- the film is setting up more... It, the film is a giant morality play. Yes. And the morality play here is, is is what are you willing to do to save your loved ones? And what if the thing that you're willing to do to save your loved ones is just as terrible as the thing that's being done to your loved ones? Um, and the, so the morality play here is not just will Hugh Jackman be saved because we presume Detective Loki with all of his persistence uh, and all of his sort of eye-twitching ability to kind of get, you know, to figure problems out is going to eventually figure out that, you know, like that whistle sounds a lot like, you know, the other whistle yep. we presume he's going he's gonna to save. The question is, is that even if Hugh Jackman is saved, where is his character at this point? Is he and do we do we forgive him for the things he's done? Does his family forgive him for the things he's done does does the person who he's abused forgive him for the things he's done does and and more importantly for Hugh Jackman uh, and and I think the the metaphors are so rich in this film he's you know goes into a cave uh, into a pit and is resurrected you know some days later um he's if, if, if he was yeah, you know, like is it does Hugh Jackman accept accept mo, the the morality of what he's done is wrong and I think that's the interesting question mark at the end of the film and the film is smart enough to go you should think about that
0: well it also is sort of something I just came to while you were discussing that uh, some of your points you brought up brought me to this point it also does a thing where Hugh Jackman is the main character of this movie and you know it, it but due to the moral questions and everything like that you still are rooting for him one way or another. Even when the film wrecks you back, you're hoping that the film wrecks you forward to sort of get you back on where he is morally correct. It knocks you around a lot to see like, wait, he's totally morally correct. Well, this evidence means that he's kind of not, but wait, oh, we got this one. It's totally this guy. Could I interject for just a second well, here?
1: Just just to, just, to help, like to, okay. to come in with it. Could you be specific about how it either, at points where you were on his side or where you were against him?
0: Uh, let's see. The there's the sort of thing about uh, you know, when he when he whispers the thing to him. Mm-hmm. Uh it the movie When sent, who whispers? Uh, when um Dana Paul Dano's character uh, whispers, whispers to, to uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman uh, the line that I used in the in the beginning or near the, when he's walking out of the police station. Mm-hmm. It seems and it's painted in the moment as a very vindictive, evil thing. Then you see him walking the dog and he tortures the dog, and then so when he kidnaps him, you're like, oh, okay, this guy's uh, this guy's. Bad, he did the thing. Yeah. And then he starts to you know, beating him up. And you're like, okay, like, that's fine. And then you get some evidence that sort of leads him against you. You're like, oh man, maybe it's not him. And then they, um, I'm trying to think of how it actually happens because with the difference between uh, Bob, the priest, there's a lot of moving parts to this mm-hmm. film, which I actually, we can get into in a little bit, don't think are, uh, while they are all necessary, I don't think they are without. Um, uh, criticism and in, in their structure mm-hmm. and and at what times things are shown to us. Yeah. Um. But then you know, as the film keeps you know peeling away layers of this of this onion, and Jake Gyllenhaal's detective Loki goes through and is is discovering things. Uh, you start you start to wane on you know if if he's actually the the thing and then you start to realize well maybe he was working with this guy because there's the whole puzzle aspect and the snakes and all that thing and then when when uh, the first little girl gets away and she freaks out when she sees Hugh Jackman's character that was the worst sort of mislead to me because it painted the flashback even painted it like uh, he was the bad guy, and it was trying to put you into a thing where, like, he was actually the person who did that to the daughters. And I was like, that's a little bit of a stretch and weird, down to the point where, like, a, a person in his coat is chasing. Uh, The little girls and I get that we're seeing like in the little girl's head, but then so, okay, if he's then the thing and he's running, then I'm not on his side anymore. And then, you know, the, and then finally, when you get back, you're, you're stuck at this moral place where you find out that he is not correct. His his uh, vigilanteism is uh, not just, mm-hmm. and uh, he is uh, basically uh, he. If you're looking at it from a moral perspective, he is in the wrong. Yeah, and then w- you still care about him because you've been on the sort of journey with him, and he's been duped by himself. Yeah, um, into doing this, and um, it just seems as though. Uh, it, the movie is constantly whiplashing you back and forth whether or not he is in the right.
1: Right, and I think uh, to me, there's an interesting thing here. And the counter character is uh, Franklin Birch, played by Terrence Howard, who's the other father. Yep. Um, we the immediate thing we we get about um Hugh Jackman, and, and the thing that I kind of find a little unnerving is the minute when he takes the when he takes Paul Dano's character, uh, uh, Alex, is that is that we. I get the sense that Hugh Jackman's character is a little unhinged. Uh, he's a little. There is something uh, uh, about him that is not quite, um, uh, not quite safe. Well, he has a, a, a
0: IQ of a ten year old. No, 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 no.
1: Hugh Jackman's character. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's something about Hugh Jackman's character that is a little unhinged, and I think the 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 fact that he. It, the extent to which he goes even in the face of op- uh, opposite information um kind of plays into that the the other thing is is that um i understand the the, the brilliance of the screenplay is that i understand why he does it even if i think that i couldn't do it. Like I, I, I'm sort of more in Franklin Birch's uh, shoes when when Terrence Howard's and He says we can't do this. You know, like the police have let him go and they have no evidence against him. We can't be doing this. And you know, and 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 Keller's argument is well, for every you know, I know what I I know what I know. I know what he said to me. This person with a t- you know the IQ of a ten year old, um, you know, said to me. So therefore, I am right about this. And then he proceeds to beat him to a bloody pulp over the course of like two or three days and the you know like uh, Alex's character Paul Dano's character can't respond he just he's not physically able to respond and it turns out that that there's a very specific reason for that it was that Alex Jones's character you know Paul Dano's character is a victim of the same crime that that Hugh Jackman's car- uh daughters are, mm-hmm. are are a victim of so I think the the interesting thing here is that Hugh ja- Ke- Keller's morality is questioned at every single turn even when we as an audience are on his side sure and and i think that's a kind of um that's a moral gray area that this film kind of engages in really masterfully because it it never feels like um the film is actually trying to Push you one way or the other against him Or for him You're you're still asking that question at every turn And I think that's what's brilliant about the ending Is that you're still You're asking that question now about Keller You're asking that question about His fate at the end of this film and that's, and that's why I think that ending really works.
0: Well, no, I don't think you're asking, honestly. I think the reason why I like it is you're not asking any question about his fate. You have two very plausible ways this will go, either if he's found or not found. You know his fate. You okay, know, no. the, with, because the film has done such a good job setting up.
1: Okay, uh, but the, do, you, do you think he's his moral fate, what do you think of his moral fate? Do you think he thinks what he did was wrong?
0: At this point, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now that he knows it, yeah.
1: He doesn't know when he's in that pit. He doesn't know that his daughter's still alive.
0: No, but he knows that uh, the first, the person he's been beating and torturing for five days was another abducted child. Right.
1: But do you think that he accepts responsibility for that?
0: I think he would if he lives through it.
1: There's an interesting plot point that I picked up on this time around that I hadn't picked up on. Uh, well, I think I, I heard, but it kind of like glanced over me. It's the fact that his dad committed suicide. Kello's dad committed suicide. Yes, and we, re- and we read a newspaper thing about that, and that's the house that he lives in. He hasn't fixed it up. He obviously has some lingering issue about his father's suicide, point of trauma for him as a child. And it's in. I think the thing that I sort of take an interesting that i see is interesting is that he is he doesn't give up he thinks he thinks that his daughter might be dead and he thinks that his daughter might you know like that the the person upstairs uh, the aunt may have gotten away with it but he's still willing to survive and i have this question about does he accept that he was wrong Do, you know like and i think that's an interesting question that the film makes us ask and that's why i mean you have a different thing i i happen to like open endings i like movies that are ambiguous in their endings and i like movies that force me to ask questions at the end i like movies that i take out of the movie theater with me that's just the difference of sure i just
0: think this film doesn't give you that i think this film answers every question you could ask right I but based on the information if you know I I feel like I I and all of the information that I gleaned from this film I know exactly the ways that this would go and how the character would react how is how forward.
1: is he gonna react
0: once he gets out if he gets out he realizes his daughter's alive and that's wonderful but now due to his actions of wrongfully imprisoning and torturing a man both from a moral and legal standpoint he will not get to see his daughter much for the rest of his life how do you
1: think that plays into what um um uh what is her name the the, the aunt's character played by Melissa Leo uh, what her entire goal was
0: oh the the religious thing about creating demons on a war against God yeah um
1: I mean this is a deeply religious man and and the one thing she says to him is that we we kidnapped children you know the, she explains that her child died and so they started kidnapping children because they wanted to wage a war against God and turn men like you into demons yeah do you think that that resonates with him? what define resonates do you think that you know he now he wonders the question have i turned into a demon
0: i mean and from not from a uh, a literal perspective from a from a <laughs> no there are no demons flying around in this movie i mean no but i mean the i don't think i, I you know does I, he think he's a bad person at this point where if he gets out and sees his daughter and then has to go to prison yeah a hundred percent he does okay like everything I've led to been shown this man is going through and granted he he goes through a lot but we've seen him in almost every type of situation uh, in this in this world that this this movie throws him at and we know the type of person that he is. do you think he willingly goes
1: to prison accepting that I am a terrible person that I have done a terrible thing
0: Oh yeah, 100 percent
1: and that I'm not going to see my daughter again. I think it's awful, and I I I
0: think he'll do what a very religious character uh, would do, and he is a very religious character. It's shown us time and time again. A lot of the religion that he is uh, you know, preaching, in a sense, would be to practice penance, and this would be a huge penance, and it would hurt him greatly, but he would do it because that's the character that we've been shown.
1: Wouldn't also that religious... um... Wouldn't that religious characterization also—his willingness to bend the rules, which is what he does, kind of be um, perhaps morally wrong in his religious framework?
0: Uh, probably not, because if you look at religion, especially the one his that he's preaching— His religious framework. Uh, yeah, his religious framework. There's a lot of wrathful shit in the Bible, yeah. and when people think that they are correct, a lot of times the Bible will uh, kind of glorify wrath in a lot of different chapters and different sections, of, it, yeah. depending on what book you're reading. Uh, so I think you could— he could easily justify if he was in the right to yeah. feel okay with doing the moral the immoral thing if he knew it was just one thing i do want to talk about before uh you in, you you broke into what i was saying before and i keep for i kept forgetting it and i want to remember it and i think it's important for the ending apologies is it's all right i just i wanted to make sure i got to it is i think this ending works too because it leaves us as the audience in a place where when we leave Hugh Jackman in a weird way and i'm going to say this wrong and i want to go back and fix it mm-hmm. he's in this 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 nebulous place this schrodinger's hole in the ground where we don't know what will what we or there's two diver, two diverging yeah. paths of what will happen to him we're assuming he's alive because we hear the whistle a uh, great sound design by the way that mm-hmm. was done very very well we are left as an audience in a place where both Things are actually still possible. And therefore, a character that we might have been rooting for on and off throughout the different thing, uh, who we know is now in a terrible, horrible place, we don't have to see be in that terrible, horrible place. I think there's a sense of uh, rather than obfuscation at an ending that might happen in other films. There's a sense of like relief that we don't have to watch this man who, granted, fell down a hard down the moral ladder but that we've grown to care about and his family over the course of the film's go through that continued horror. Yeah. We are we are relieved of that. We are we are not we don't have to watch that. And I think that is something that again is very smart on the filmmaker's perspective and I think uh, from the scriptwriter's perspective as well. I think they've they've mastered this is the best version of this type of ending that I have ever seen. Right. Um. So yeah. Sorry. I wanted to get that out before I it, it flew away from my brain. For forever.
1: so this is the Schrodinger's cat of endings, which is that he is at simultaneously both alive in there and not alive. Uh, no, 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 that's no, not That's, not no, the, that's the wrong analogy.
0: Yeah. It's it's. I, I know. I said Schrodinger, and so I led that path. It's yeah. basically two divergent paths of what will happen. Either he stays in that thing and dies eventually because he's currently alive at the end of the film when we when we hear the whistle, or he gets rescued and goes to jail and his life is ruined and his family's gone, but he knows his daughter's still alive. And there's these there's sort of Like two awful situations, right? For this character that we've been going through the entire time. And I think that as a whole, um, you know, depending on where you stand and what he did, you you don't want one or the other of those things, really, either. Possibly, and
1: I think I think that's the point I wanted to get at, which is that which is that the film is asking you to think about that question as you leave the theater. It's it's going blank on this whistle, and we probably can guess which way it's going to go, but it's it's asking us to think about what did we think about what he did. And what do you think he thought about what he did? and I, I I walk away with those questions in my head, and i and I enjoy the fact that the film leaves
0: it on that note. I agree with the it, it, of course it's leaving it's trying to get the audience to think about what do you think about what he did I think Due to the craft of the film, I know exactly what he would if if he is rescued. What he would think about what he did. But
1: you do You didn't see it.
0: And I. And I no. Get, but and the movie and... sets us up well enough with yeah. the information it provides and the character development that it does, and the situations we show him in. Where I have a very good set of precedents to base my assumptions on.
1: Let me give you another example of that exact same thinking, and that is Keller saying Alex t- definitely took my son. Uh, took my daughter," he says. "I, I, one hundred percent, based on the information that I have right now, one hundred percent believe that this person is responsible for the, for kidnapping my child, and then makes." a horribly moral cho- you know moral choice to do that and I think
0: but here's I, the deal one is based on one piece of information that yeah. happens and one is based on two hours of character development that we've seen and yeah. if you can't get behind making but a, I think if that's you can't that can't get question. behind making a hunch mm. based on on actual facts and actually collecting facts throughout it then you're gonna have a hard time with any police does. work whatsoever isn't
1: that what he does I he mean he makes he makes, a, he he makes a, a decision he
0: makes an emotionally driven decision and and, exas- see, and exacerbates sees, it based off of what one sentence from a man.
1: No, he also sees that person strangle a dog. Yep. He also believes that per- he also knows that that person's car was in the uh, in the vicinity when he's putting he's pieces put, together. He's putting pieces together, and I'm saying, but not enough by pieces. not giving us the ending that we see, we are forced to kind of put the pieces together ourselves. We have and, and, enough
0: pieces. He <laughs> didn't have enough pieces. But
1: you're saying, see that? I think that's that's the thing. You're saying it with as much assuredness as he did when he kidnapped when he kidnapped Alex, There's and, I, and also I'm saying. And I'm saying that is the question mark, this film, and that's why it's great.
0: But that's not the question mark for me in this film. Right. It's not. Because, again, and we're equating two different things. We're equating piecing together clues on who is a murderer Mm -hmm. versus how a character we can guess will act in a situation after we've seen two and a half hours of how he acts in almost every situation. Right. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. One is someone taking three clues and an amateur sort of detective agency. And the other one is here's a here's a list of nine different situations, all that sort of play to who this character is as a person. Again, I'm complimenting but it, the but, film.
1: But it also doesn't show you that. And that's the thing. He Keller doesn't know the truth. Right, like Keller doesn't know, but he but he makes an assumption. I'm not suggesting that you're wrong. I'm saying the then why film, are we
0: talking about this? Because
1: that's what I think is interesting and exciting about this film is that that tr- that ending where we don't know exactly what happens is the genius of the ending. It's it's basically allowing us to think and ponder. The possibilities of the ending. The ending exists in the mind of the viewer in many different formats. I could, someone could watch this and say, oh, well, I think he's dead. Or someone could watch this and go, I think he got away, and hooray! Someone could watch this and go, he did the right thing the whole way, because by kidnapping Alex, he instigated, he set the chain of mo- uh, events in motion, which caused his daughter to be freed. Someone else could watch and go, well, by kidnapping Alex, he also jumped a moral line, which is how he ended up inside the hole. And, and that's how he's going to lose his family. And I I think those are all interesting parts and i guess uh i don't want to posit that there is a finite answer when the film cuts to black
0: and i think that's the genius of it but all of those things you listed the questions that the audience gets to ask from the ending are all there you've listed them out sure and more. But, and more. But a lot of them that you listed, and I do not want to do this exercise, but you could go back, and I think, again, due to the craft of the film, you could debunk or enforce many of the things you just you just said. You've watched this film two or three times. I think you have a good notion of the order of events of what actually happens in the film that we're shown. Okay. My point is because of that and because things make as much sense as they do in the world that they built and they set up and show with characters that we see how they react to different situations, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth, that the, the, the question at the end is more on the point that you made about um, – you know, it's asking you as a well, – while giving you the comfort of not actually seeing what happens to this character, it's giving you the option of saying when did he cross the line – You know, morally speaking, Mm -hmm. Um, what it is not doing, I feel like at the ending is making you wonder how he will react because it has shown me, in my opinion, definitively based on how character unless unless you're going to write a U-turn that makes zero sense with a script that makes total sense. Uh, that a, how a character will react to situations. I am now able to build out what I think would happen. And again, what happens is not the point. It's just the thought process behind what we as an audience are. But I'm not one I'm not wondering. But you have the certainty of like, for
1: example, and I think this is the moral questions that the film is asking in a literary sense, is that a character at the beginning of this film has a hundred percent certainty that that something has happened. But he right? doesn't. No, he
0: does. No, he, he doesn't. His friend actually says he doesn't. He says, I know you, I can see it in your eyes, you are not sure. And he is emotional and rage driven. That is and the movie shows us that. But he does not a- the same but thing. But he takes action believing one thing, right? Sure. Believing one possibility. But he actually doesn't believe it, because the movie actually shows you in different parts, especially with his friend, when Terrence Howard says that, that he's not 100% sure. He just wants to be 100% sure. The only way... <laughs> so, so this is kind of a futile argument, because... Well, then let's stop, because we've been going... This is an hour and a half, so okay. let's do final thoughts on this film, because we're just going to go back and forth. I don't think we're going to shake this one.
1: Are you going to let me finish my what I was going to say, or are you just going to jump in with time?
0: Well, you did yeah. cut me off before hand so uh you can say whatever you'd like i'm just i'm following the tenor sir
1: okay all right well if we're gonna get into that argument here i'm just gonna say this the point here is it's a futile argument because it doesn't show us the ending it doesn't show us and you're saying that you know it with a hundred percent certainty but the film cuts to black which means we don't know exactly what happens we can make presumptions on it based on things we've seen and we could be a hundred percent wrong about it and i think that is the moral beauty of this film
0: And I'm not saying that the ending, I know the exact specific one point ending of the entire film. I'm saying the paths which the film could branch to at this point are really only one or two sort of major ones that would make sense with the way the film has gone. I can glean from that and therefore I am not wondering on a character level how that character would feel in all of those various paths of what happens. I think the point is, and I actually agree with the first half of what you say and the beauty of what this is, is it leaves the audience to wonder that moment of, when did he cross the line and how do you feel about this situation if you were in these shoes? Not exactly what this specific character will do after the film cuts to black. Okay. That's it. Okay. But bo- but, but but you know, at the end of the day, this is a great film. And It's I'm, an amazing I'm, I'm, film. I'm very glad that I watched it. And again, I'm kind of glad that I watched it when I watched it because I don't know. I like it when fantastic things spring up that I just missed. Right. And I do really dig that
1: it, I, I it's fun it's it's a it's an incredible film and and to Rafael's point, it's a film that doesn't get a lot of play. like when when I mentioned it,
0: you I, I think you hadn't heard of it or I'd heard of it, but I didn't think it was the film that I thought it was, and it was yeah
1: I, and I'm not and you know, like this is definitely you know your point uh, this is not the genre that you are drawn to. this is a genre I'm drawn to. but I don't i I think we went to it kind of on a whim. We didn't know much about it that night. It was playing at a local theater. And we all walked out of it just, you know, like, lo- you know, just in awe of what how, of how well-crafted this film was. And I think, you know, if anything, the tenor of this discussion has demonstrated is that it is a passionate film. It is a film to get passionately excited yeah. about, uh, no matter where you stand on it. Um, and it is, it's a film uh, I, you know, like... I, I, I would argue it's in the top 10 films I've seen uh, that I can remember in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. It's, 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 it's really up there for me. Um, you know, like it, like I said, instant buy as soon as it came out. It, it disappointed, it, you know, it, it's disappointed that it's not sort of talked about as much, but it made money. It made a lot of money. It launchpad a lot of careers. Um, it's just, you know, we uh, maybe one day because of this discussion, it might be talked about in the same ballpark as Seven. But there are other great, like, for example, Memories of Murder, uh, a South Korean film, uh, film by Bong Joon Hoo, I think is one of the great masterclasses of this film that doesn't get talked about a lot at, unless you're in that circle. So yeah. I hope it does. Uh, I think
0: I think these types of films in this genre does not get like that mainstream push unless it's like hyper salacious. That, sadly. I mean I think that's cuz 7 is 7 got the push because 7 was both biblical and you saw some fucking horrible shit. Even though it was way more than that. You know, like the film itself deserved the eyeballs it got. But it got there through clever marketing and sort of salacious visuals. And like, oh my God, you won't believe what happened to this. Like, it's... It's strange how I think the 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 ones that stay in the public lexicon. And I think this is a disservice. Uh, are the ones that sort of do that, even though even if those are great, I think it kind of drowns out fantastic films like this. That uh, you know, there's not a ton of um, there's not a ton of uh, salacious like visuals in this to the point when when you actually start seeing a little bit of blood or like weird things, it actually feels a little off for the film, and you're like, whoa.
1: I you know uh, I was reading a story about the Shawshank Redemption this week and um, the, it's I think it's the 20th anniversary of the Shawshank Redemption or something like that so a lot of stories popped up about it and one thing you have to remember is the Shawshank Redemption did really poorly mm-hmm. in movie theaters and only did well because apparently the distributor ordered uh, added an extra zero to the amount of copies that they ordered with VHS <laughs> perfect and uh, and and suddenly there was just, it was just flooded in the market and then people suddenly got to see it and talk about it and think about it and it came into the public you know into the public lexicon more I think this film is Actually, it, it is for people who like the genre. People know that this is one of the greats in that genre. Right. Um, but hopefully, people can discover it because I, I think it goes for me. It goes well beyond the genre. Um, is is the thing that I get excited about? This I think this is a film that's well beyond. If you even if you just like crime, I, I watched this with my uh, my mother and father in law, who are you know like. <laughs> and what's funny is the next night my mother in law turned on Arrival and I was like oh it's the same director. She literally walked out half an hour and she's like I'm bored of this thing. And and but with with prisoners, the whole way, huh. the whole way, completely. And she was enraptured by it. And and you know, um, I'm I, I can't sing its praise enough. There's one element to this film I will criticize, and that is the treatment of the priest. I think is a little confusing. It, it's it's unclear what the priest does, right? Like or what the priest did. Like yeah. I, I'm still I'm like a, a little unsure of like what he did did I mean, he, he
0: murdered the guy
1: did he murder the guy yeah. is that what he did he murdered the child molester. it seems yeah. it seems it, it seems a little less explained than it probably should, given that a character has just murdered someone. Yeah,
0: it, it's thrown together tangentially. It's it's used as both a thing to get you off the trail of a thing for a little bit of time, and then to tie back together with a thing about mazes. But
1: but the, the, the ending, the structure of the screenplay, the questions that this film asks, the way it uses genre, the way it's put together, the performances by the actors involved who are really... Uh, Hugh Jackman in the bathroom is the most terrifying I've ever seen him, and the most enraptured I have been with him as an actor, and Jake Gyllenhaal's mm-hmm.
0: hair—could we yeah. just? I mean, it was it was mm-hmm. phenomenal, and he did obviously a, p- a wonderful performance as well. Yeah. I just am always drawn when he has this sort of slick back thing. I'm like, motherfucker, that's, that's a beautiful There's lots of little main. detail
1: like I like his little tattoo, yep. his his rings, his you know, like the, there's this history about him being in yeah. a boy's home. It this is such a rich film. It's so good. It's so so good. I can't can't say enough about how good this film is.
0: Go see Prisoners and or... don't see Drive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this has been. the only podcast about the film Nightcrawler and Prisoners. I feel confident in the fact that it probably is the only one with both. Both of them? And um, I think they make a great double feature. They would a hundred percent. If you're looking for a Gyllenhaal Hall kind of a knight, yeah. uh no Maggie's allowed in that particular job. Uh, she's so good. I well. love Maggie Gyllenhaal, she but I'm just so saying good. she's not in either of
1: these. You gotta see her in the deuce. Oh, She's
0: yeah. So yeah. good in the deuce. Yep. Yeah. Um, Shaheer, when you are not uh, singing all sorts of praise and making up songs, as you did before the podcast, oh, yeah, about Mr. Gyllenhaal, where I'd, can folks find you? You can find me badly karaoke
1: on my website at www.shaheerdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. Maybe we'll sing together uh, at the end. Matt is a much better singer than I am. So Matt would probably win that karaoke championship. I don't on, know. On your, I've actually seen you win karaoke championships on your website. Uh, where? <laughs> Where can people find you performing renditions of uh, This is the Story of a Girl?
0: You can, you can find me uh, crying a river and drowning the whole world at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L dot com for my life and works. Also, Skelter, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, check out all of our stuff we're doing uh, at at, well, uh, at Extracredits.com on the YouTube's machine. Uh, we're doing a lot of good videos out there. Check out all that work. We're doing the flu pandemic, which if you like some terrifying shit, we got two episodes out of six up now, and you <laughs> will be scared. Go Go get your flu shot. I still need to get mine. I've been scared straight. <laughs> I think we're out of season. Uh, well, we we'll I'm going we'll do it anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So until next time, uh, next. Oh, do we want to announce what the next, um, the next review roundup will be? So jumping out of the th- the
1: Jake Gyllenhaal thriller, Owl. There are no connected actors in both of these songs. Well, maybe I'll we'll, have to we'll look. See. We'll have to look, but we're gonna look at. S- blockbuster action movies. And the two action movies that we have on request on blast from us, which I've rewatched one of them and I get to watch the other. They are Inception and Speed Racer. The Wachowski <laughs> brothers and Nolan and Christopher Nolan together at last. Uh, uh, like hot glue and peanut butter <laughs> and
0: shards of glass in certain ways. But I think it'll be really fun. We will see you uh when we get to that. Yeah. Later.
1: Bye.